Hello and welcome to Steel Blade Showtime episode 12. My name is Brandon. I am your host. I am here as usual with my co-host Derek. Derek, how are you doing this week? Hi Brandon, doing good, doing good. Had a nice eventful week for Flesh and Blood. It has been fantastic. Got to go to an armory and a new player event. Show our faces, introduce some people. Most importantly, had someone get just so excited playing Arachne. Warm, warms my little stabbing heart. <laughs> Must be. I was trying to convince some people on Levi and nobody was taking the bait. <laughs> I wonder if everybody warned them about him before. <laughs> the old guy sitting next to him, he's like, no, you don't. He's like, do not. don't do it. <laughs> this is a bad idea. <laughs> he's like, you can play your, this deck perfectly and you'll still lose. Yep. And I was like, he is right. But I'm like, you get this cool chess piece at block six, so. <laughs> um, that's the only thing I did this week, was go out with to that with you. I woke up at four for Arbory. I actually woke up at like one, and I only had like two hours of sleep, and I said, nope, going back <laughs> to bed before work. Hard pass. You gotta be awake for the overnights. So how'd you do in the Armory? Uh, I went two and one. Um, I played against uh, Vince on Briar in the first round. Uh, Vince saw everything that he needed seemingly in the right order uh, for for Briar. We got the channels, we had like snatches at the right time. Like I couldn't hit all these breakpoints on everything he needed, just leaking damage left and right. Uh, I think the final life total was like, he was at 21 because I had some early heat. Uh, and then I just could not keep that momentum. Yeah. And then I, I won against my, my favorite opponent, uh, Capitalism in the buy. Uh, so I bought a box. <laughs> <laughs> um. uh, they were out of Dynasty, so I bought an Everfest. Uh, got some Silver Palms and a Potion of uh, potion of Luck in Cold Foil. So I'm pretty happy with that. Um, and then I beat... Uh, who was my last fight? <laughs> I I do not remember who my last opponent was. I think right, it was Dorinthia. How could I forget that? Because out of the five people, uh, there were two Dorinthias. Yeah. So I managed to to sneak that one out. Um it's it's one of those said it before, said it again. Both Arachne and Dorinthia, uh, you do better the more you know your opponent's deck. And I play a lot of Dorinthia, so, so I knew what to do. I want to know, how much are you play, paying James White to give you a buy every time you play? Listen, we don't talk about the agreement. <laughs> you got to cut this section out, uh, because <laughs> that, is, that is legal grounds. I need to get my buys. We know this. I think we're just going to start referring to you as king of the buy. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> that is a perfectly okay. We got a special guest this week. We got Flake with us. Flake, do you do anything uh, Flesh and Blood this week at all you want to talk about? Oh, that I want to talk about. If you guys want to hear about losing a lot as Bravo, then I can absolutely just regale you with, with stories of just drawing reds and just drawing no attacks. Um, I, I've been playing a lot. I mean, I always do. I play about three hours a day, every day almost. Uh, so... And uh, the the 
experience from playing Talishar and streaming every day to going to an armory and getting gooned by, you know, just people in the community. It's a sobering experience. So a lot of highs, a lot of a lot of peaks and valleys all the time. Yep. I I know the pain. I've, I've rolled so many double ones already on the Via. In one pro, the last pro quest I went to, well, I was three rounds in and already had 60 blood debts sitting on my table I've taken. It is <laughs> savage. But like at the same time, I I think there's something with Flake saying. When we've played on Talishar, your rolls have been great. <laughs> You're hitting those two action points, those three action points. You're just blasting out that damage left and right. And then as soon as you show up in person. My deck's like, no, one, we're not performing. One. one. Uh, you want three tomes of torment in your hand? Go for it. No. Great. <laughs> so, Derek, would you like to introduce our guest? I gave a little, already said who he was. We're, we're doing this a little out of order. It's That's fine. That's fine. Uh, but Flake here, if you do not know him, is the host of the Instant Speed podcast uh, and a professional caster. Uh, so, Flake, we're going to start with our, our standard preamble. How how did you find Flesh and Blood? What dragged you here? Oh, dragged is not the correct term. I mean, I get it. it it's, it's like sometimes when you're introducing somebody to a new card game, especially nowadays where the the market is just inundated with titles and every month there seems to be a new announcement of a new card game so sometimes to to show somebody the light as it were you have to drag them kicking and screaming but that wasn't the case for me um i was introduced to the game by a friend of mine by the name of lewis woodhouse uh who goes by the the moniker what's up woody good dude from the uk and he uh he basically he he was involved with a lot of TCG marketing and he liked to try new games and just to sort of get involved with new games. And he tried out uh, flesh and blood and enjoyed it. And he showed it to me and he and I had known each other because I was so intimately involved in Gwent for so long. I was on their uh, official uh, master series casting team for like four or five years. And he showed me this game and he's like, yeah, you might like it. And I was watching him stream it on tabletop simulator. And I just said, you know, give me a preamble of what this is about. And he explained it, and he walked me through it. I said, okay. And on the surface, it looked just like most card games, which is kind of like a reskin of Magic to a degree with certain things and knobs and pulleys that are adjusted um, to, to make it seem unique. But when I went out and bought the Blitz decks and tried the game, I understood that, hey, there's there's more to this than just sending attacks and soaking damage. It's not about that. And then I got more in, intrigued by the resource system. And before you knew it, I was, I mean, it, it helps when the first booster box you buy uh, yields you a, a tunic, which is awesome. And then you're like, this is easy. Like, Gorgeous. First, yeah, basically, it was like first booster box was a tunic. I got an E-strike in there. Uh, so it was, I'm like, this is fascinating. And this is amazing. And picking up, um, picking up Ninja and just rolling with it there. So that's how I got introduced to the game. And just kind of fell in love with it because it's so nuanced, so layered. And coming from a game like Gwent, which is so unique, I wanted to go back to something that was a little bit more creature combat life totals. Um, but I didn't want to go back into magic. So this really hit hit the bullseye for what I was seeking. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
like we all know this is we were talking about this with um with our buddy Nigel. One of his first boxes that he opened had an Arknight shard. That that first early luck of seeing that super rare card, so easy to get hooked off that. So easy. It's like just pure liquid heroin right, right. into your right. I mean, I don't advocate that at all. In any way, shape, no, or form, do not, not do that. But I would imagine that that is as close to it. Like when you find the game that really speaks to you and you can, and, and there's so much to explore within it. It's like, wow. It's like finding a show that, you know, people have been talking about for a while and you, you give the first episode a look and you're like, wow, this is really good. And there's six seasons. I'm like, yeah, like you just kind of the Holy grail. <laughs> basically <laughs> that was me with Battlestar Galactica, like the reboot. Um, yes. God, that show is obscenely good. And I, if you're listening to this, I it's get it. It's called Battles. Well, it's called Battlestar Galactica. And I know that if you're listening to this and you're not necessarily a sci-fi fan, you're like, ew, gross. But it, it is, if it wasn't set in space, I have a feeling that a show like this would probably be one of the greatest TV shows of all time. In fact, Rolling Stone rated it as like one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Like it was, uh, it got the reviews for a show like this were so good. It is what? in my top five. Right. It was the the perfect thing. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit of a, a Battlestar Galactica uh, nerd, but one of the most recent things I found out about it, uh, James Edward Olmos, uh, he had in his contract no weird aliens. <laughs> that was in the contract as long as he was on board. No weird aliens. Period. Well, do you consider like a Cylon Raider an alien? I think, by nature, at the very least, it's not a weird alien because we had uh, Admiral down the whole time. But it made I, me I, a little bit. All right, I'll, I'll yeah. I mean, like I guess so. I mean, they they became like kind of like this organic species to a degree. But okay, I like it. So weird is the is the 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 binding term here, and I like that. Right. But side sidetracked a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, you hit one of the things and like, ooh. Oh, oh yes. that's fine. That's <laughs> me. I, I sidetracking is like my favorite thing to do. It's recreation for me. Yeah, it's perfect. So you mentioned your first hero was Ninja. I, I assume at the time that was Katsu. It was definitely Katsu. Yeah. Cause you were in decently early, right? like around what set did you jump in? I jumped in at Monarch, and I mean, for some, that's way late, and for others, it's, you know, the Stone Age, um, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, at the time I jumped in at Monarch, my first ever uh, armory was, I think, like a, I think it was a, I don't know if it was Blitz, it may have been Blitz, but ultimately, I think the first armory that I really remember was a Monarch draft, and that was pretty fascinating to me and it was a lot of fun and that was that's that's when i jumped in and and uh got to sort of backtrack to go and collect arcane collect uh crucible of war collect wraith and and like i said like it's like discovering a new show and noticing that there's oh there's four seasons and that's that was sort of the trajectory and the, the feeling i had right right so oh, go ahead no no you sir I was just going to start segueing into the first half of the topics. 
That was also what I was going to do. <clears throat> Great minds think alike sometimes. <laughs> um, so, you know, get a little bit more background on you. So what got you? So do you prefer the term like as a commentator or a caster? Oh, or... a blowhard, uh, loud mouth. These are all... <laughs> Any of these would definitely work. I mean, ultimately, you know, if I want to be flower, like if I were to if I were to put it on a business card, I would say broadcaster. Uh, okay. um, that's probably the most accurate. If it was if I want to be flowery about it, it's probably storyteller. I mean, it's it's fascinating to to try to make my profession seem a lot more, you know, intriguing <laughs> and a lot more. Um, uh robust if you will if it wasn't if if to just then to just say i i i name the cards that are being played and the damage that is being done like that is the <laughs> that's kind of what people see it as it and it, it's more than that it's talking about the the ramifications of a turn the the implications of of the thought process and and really you know ramping up the drama and making it seem like more than just a fused oak and old, as it were. Like you're you're basically telling a story. You're weaving a tale for people who might not just see or who might just see the surface. You want to kind of peel back the layers and say, like, this is what this means. This is the significance of it. This is what's possibly going through their head. So if I were to kind of make it seem like a bigger deal than it may it may be for some, it's I'm a storyteller. It's my one buddy. He was, for a while, he was a garbage man. So when I used him as a reference, I was like, all right, so what did you do? I was like, do you want me to put garbage man? He goes, no, put waste management specialist. Damn right. Uh, <laughs> janitorial arts, like that's possibly one of them. Look, I, when I was five years old, I wanted to be a garbage man. I wanted to be, I, I used to go to the grocery store with my mom, hang off the cart. And when she'd be like, okay, that loaf of bread, and I'd like get off the cart and like pick it up and toss it into the <laughs> into the thing like a garbage man. Now, don't get me wrong, my my father was like, Are you sure garbage man is the, your like your dream career? I'm like, it pays pretty well. Damn right. And I didn't even care about the pay. I'm like, I can I can hang off the side of a truck and throw things into a bigger thing. Like, that's all you want to do as a kid is throw yeah. things. It's a dream. Yeah. Still is, frankly. I mean, it seems a lot <laughs> more stable than uh, than content creation. Plus, <laughs> I don't really get to legally hang off the back of a truck. So yeah, that's true. But now we have to we have to throw it out there. If there are any uh, garbage garbage men or you know waste management specialists out there listening, reach out to Flake. Let's see if we can get that that ride along day. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I I have um, a few friends who are police officers in Minneapolis, and every time I go to visit them, I always say, I'm like, so when are you going to let me do a little ride along? And he's like, do you really want to go drive around for like, and seven hours of your day is sitting and waiting? I was like, do you know what I do all day? Right. <laughs> you know what I do all day. It's sitting and talking instead of sitting and waiting. Yeah, but we can talk. We'll be able to talk. <laughs> yeah. I'll, plus, I'll yeah. get some fresh air. It's, it seems like I'm doing something. Stick your head out the window. It's great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that just reminds me of like, listening to this most recent episode of Instant Speed. You said you got the full American experience. And I was just like, okay. So, and then like the lot, like you ended it with, yeah. And uh, what was it? A shooting or someone got shot close to the yes. hotel? Yes. And I just it's... like, Yep, that's the American experience, all right. Sure is. 
I've been to the States, I think in the past, uh, I'd say in the past like 16 months, I've been to the States probably about 15 to 20 times. Like I'm there so often and um, yeah, I taught twice. So let's do that. Let's just, let's be super conservative here and say I've been there 20 times, which is probably more than I have in the past 16 months. And I've, I've, I think there's two shootings within like a block of where I was. So we're at a 10% clip here. Like that's, yeah, that's, I wouldn't roll the dice on that. You know, like that's, that's a pretty significant. This may be a statistical outlier, but also it is still, uh, the odds are not great for that. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you get, get you into broadcasting? Like, when did you first go, you know, that's kind of cool. I want to do that. I have to say it's probably, I mean, like when I was in high school, it was like the first time that I, I would do, I would inject a little bit of humor into a presentation that I would have to do. And now everybody's always terrified of doing presentations in front of the class and whatever, but that's where I thrived. I would just, I wanted to do them. And in, as a result in high school, I got voted most likely to have their own talk show. And, uh, and, but I was, I was a giant like nerd. I was in the advanced class, completely secluded from everybody else. Uh, our lockers were somewhere else. Like it was such a terrible experience for high school was awful. It was terrible. But within that small little sphere of people that I would see, um, they, you know, the first laughs you get, when you're making a joke, you're like, wow, this is, this is a good feeling. You know, like I liked giving people that joy. I liked being entertaining and that kind of, um, rolled itself into when I was in university, I would intern at, um, what is the equivalent, I guess, of ESPN radio, uh, in Montreal. I did that for about a year. I had like a co-host role, not a co-host role. It was unpaid, but I had a microphone and I was on like an afternoon, uh, sports talk show with um, a former NHLer by the name of PJ Stock, who's an awesome human being. And um, that, which was kind of funny to me because I had applied to university for broadcast journalism and I was rejected. And then I went into political science because it was the only thing that was still taking applications that had any kind of resonance into an interest of mine. I jumped into that. I, as I was studying, I was interning at a radio station. And at, as I was studying, I was running my college radio station. So it was the most odd experience that the the faculty didn't want to accept me to learn tr- the traditional way of broadcasting. But meanwhile, I was on the radio and I was running the college radio station. So it, <laughs> it, it, was, it just meant no sense to me. And, and I am such an advocate for education and learning and learning should not be something that you only do in school. Learning is a, a, a lifetime endeavor. You should, once you're out of school, you should not just shut your, you should continuously learn and adapt. But at the same time, it just kind of robbed me of any respect I had for the, the education system to that degree where there was, you know, it was just a silly, it was a silly thing. So I finished my political science degree just to say that I, can get a degree and Step because better than me <laughs> well but like but the thing about it is that 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 it has it had no bearing on what i was doing because right after that i went to i you know i got a job in um communications management at an at a major airline and ended up uh handling their internal social media stuff 
And none of it had to do with political science. You know, none of it did. And the only reason that I got, like, the only reason they cared about the degree was, frankly, they're like, hey, listen, we just want to know that you can complete a major a major challenge. Like, having a degree is a three- or four-year endeavor, and you did that. And it's hard work, and you 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 proved dedication, and you proved that you can accomplish a series of, of you know, growing tasks to eventually sign a, kind of succeed and, and close out a, a bigger project. And that's more or less what I learned. I was like, the education system is not necessarily about putting the right people in the right spots. It's about, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a business. Like, and that's the, that was the tough part about it because what I'm doing now and what I was rejected for in university is the same damn thing. Right. And, <laughs> And th- and that's the that's what I try to tell people. I said, like, if you get rejected from what you're doing, that is not a death sentence. the The education system does not have agency over your future. They may make decisions that m- will hinder your progress, but ultimately, if you're passionate about what you want to do, you just go do it. You just go do it. And that's kind of what I did. I just said, like, I basically said, "F you!" Like, you're not deciding what I'm passionate about, nor will you shackle me to one field of study or one field of profession and don't get me wrong like i wanted to go into politics that was a, a an endeavor of mine when i was younger but l- then you jump into political science and like after your first year i'm like this is bull this is garbage <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably some of the driest just like but it's worst. all just like the, the I, so I don't like people don't know unless you're from Quebec, you don't know the BS that is that goes on in Quebec from a government standpoint. I'm okay. not going to get into it here. This is not a political podcast, but ultimately <laughs> learning about just living within the system for so many years and then learning about the intricacies and the moving parts of the system. You just become so much more enlightened to the fact that politics is garbage. And I was like, I do not in any way, shape, or form want to have any career in this. But I got my degree in it because I learned that early. I was like, it was like at the end of year one. And I told myself, okay, um, we're going to complete it, but we're not doing this as a career. Like, it's not happening. Just to say we did it. Basically. It was (laughs) like a little stamp on it. Yeah, and I, that, I don't even know where the, my diploma is. It's like in my parents' <laughs> drawer somewhere. Like, I, basically, I gave it to them, and I was like, I'm like, I, di- I did this. I appreciate the, your support over the time. I'm, I think I'm like the first person in my family to get a, uh, a university degree, which to me was, it wasn't to like prove it or to sort of bang my chest about family pride. But to me, it was like, I just wanted to show my parents that I could do it and that it was possible. And my, my parents are very successful. My, my father is exceptionally successful and he never had a university degree. He just hustled and moved his way up and became an executive at a, at a big company. And it's like, that was to me the same kind of gumption that I had when faced with that, that challenge and that roadblock where, you know, this entity that has no idea who I am said, no, you can't do this. And I was like, well, you can suck it. And then we kind of yeah. went on from there. <laughs> and here you are. And here I am. I know. Sorry, I know it's a long-winded way of, of, of saying this, of how I got into it. But it's it's important for people to realize that no nobody has agency over your ambition. And and the only the only hindrance that matters is yourself. So if you want to stop yourself from doing it, that's the only thing that can, because everything else may seem like an impossible hurdle, 
but it's it's time and effort. Those two those two ingredients create the right recipe for success. Beautiful. <clears throat> and I you also put out a tweet the uh, other day, and it was uh, is it rejection? Isn't he was like, oh, I I saw it and I was like, that sounds so. To me, it felt like you had like Iro. I don't have you. Do you know who Iro is? Before Iro, I go, I'm yeah. not sure. All right. So th- when I was a kid, <laughs> there was this uh, cartoon on Nickelodeon called Avatar: The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. And so if you take Fi and make him literally bend fire, that's Zuko. And Zuko was banished by his father. Because he spoke out against him, and Iroh was his uncle, who was more like a father figure to him. And he was played by a guy named Mako, who actually tragically during the third season, like passed away. He has this big, like, emotional song in it, and all he does is just spill wisdom into Zuko, and basically, you see him basically start to form of the character that Zuko really is. So he's just this wisdom generator, and he is a beloved character in the community. Everybody loves him. And he's like, it's dumb, but he's one of my heroes because, you know, growing up and all the stuff that, you know, some of the things I've been through, I've always turned to it because there's, like, he has, like, a quote that says, life is like a dark tunnel. You may not see the light on the other side, but as long as you keep moving, you eventually will get him to the come out. That's it. It's progress. Progress can is is sometimes seems it seems, you know, um insignificant sometimes if you take it in small clips and doses, but if you kind of get a a, a more a birds eye view, it, you can see the trajectory that you're making and you know, it's when I when I kind of evaluate where I'm at in a, as a, from a career and and this and that and like I sometimes catch myself by evaluating my progress and evaluating my success in a very isolated time frame of like this month or this past this past two months or this past six months. And then I look at myself when I first turned on my Twitch stream, you know, uh, seven years ago and fired up a, a Hearthstone stream, which is what, what my first game that I ever streamed was Hearthstone. And look at to where I was where I was then to where I am now and how those ambitions that I had then have come to fruition and I don't appreciate them when I look at it from last last month to this month because when I look at it in a small doses I was like okay well like two months ago I was in San Jose or whatnot casting a world championship then I came home and then I did the Genesis uh, Battle of Champions Championship card, you know, cha- World Championships. I casted that. Then I did the Gwent World Championships, like all within the span of a month. And then I look now and I'm like, I now what am I doing? Like I'm not doing anything. Like I haven't. Ca- I've, I did uh, a, a pro quest in Chicago, and I'm gonna do like a realm circuit, uh, the realm circuit for the next uh, few months and whatnot. I'm doing a few of their dates and and stuff like that, but if you were to look at it from an isolated perspective of like this small time frame, I'm on this significant decline. Like I feel like I've just been, you know, relegated to the minors. But when I look at it and I just kind of breathe and breathe through it and and you kind of um uh you kind of like kind of just have this overlook of the the entirety of your career, you're like, damn, like I went 
from this ambitious idiot to this s- relatively successful idiot. And, and <laughs> the constant remains, but somehow I got there. And seven years is a pretty solid trajectory. Like, like you're saying, you probably didn't see it at the time, but going from just somebody, you know, doing it on your own in your room, playing a game, talking about it. Well, suddenly, yeah, it, it started out as honestly like a coping mechanism because I started streaming when I moved from Montreal to Toronto, which is about 350 miles. It's like 500 kilometers. Yeah. yeah. It's not like a huge move, but moving from Montreal to Toronto is like moving from Boston to New York. Like it's it's that kind of culture clash where you're meant to like it's you're you're entering enemy territory as it were. It's right. the, it, it's like it, if you've ever go to Fenway with a Yankees cap, you're going to get looks. Like and I'm walking around with my Montreal Canadiens cap because I'm an Aaron, I just love my team and that's the way it goes, but um I did it as a as a result of being lonely in the evenings and coming home from work at like six o'clock, not having anybody knowing anybody in the city and not necessarily, you know, it's not like you don't go to bars and by yourself and do that kind of stuff. Like I was a bartender for five years. Those people were creep shows like the, the dudes who would go to bars just to make friends it's like I, not my thing. But I would stream because I was like, I would play cards anyways. I'd be on my tablet watching Netflix and playing Hearthstone for like three hours a night. I was like, my buddy suggested, like, why don't you just fire up a stream? Like, you know, you'll meet people, you'll talk, and it's at least an outlet for you to not feel so lonely. And from that day to today is is such a world of difference. But like I said, if if you're only viewing your success in small doses, in small time frames, then you'll never feel successful. So at, at this point, all the success under your belt, do you ever like still feel nervous about anything you're about to like commentate on? I think the nerves are not necessarily oriented towards my performance because I'm 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 confident enough in my abilities that I can handle most of what can be thrown at me. Um very rarely, like the first few, the first two um, I think the first like event, flesh and blood event I ever did was the 2021 um, USA Nationals in Orlando. That was the first flesh and blood event I had ever done. And I studied like crazy, um, learning the cards, the decks, the this, the that. And I think it was after that first event and people were like, damn, you did well, like good for you. And I was a throw in. I was legitimately, I got that that job as a basically a favor. It was just, they needed one other person and they could have gone with somebody else but they said you know what like you come recommended from some people we trust let's give you a let's give you a shot and apparently i did well i did well enough to to continue but i think the nerves for me are not necessarily about the performance because i'm comfortable with that i think i'm good at what i do i i finally turned a corner where i think i'm very good at what i do however the nerves are still there from the perspective of i don't know when my next job is going to be and the nerves are always about do do people like what I'm doing? Do people see what I'm doing? Do people appreciate what I'm doing? Mm. The nerves and the anxiety are are the same as you would feel where every job you do was a job was a was a job interview for your next job. Like it's an audition for your next job. That's how I think. I I we I don't have a contract. I don't have any guarantees. I work from event to event, 
My DMs are always open and I almost never say no to work. Like legitimately, I don't, that it's, it never happens. The only times I've ever said no to work was when it was incredibly under underselling me or, or they were, I was getting undercut like crazy. Like I, that's not, you know, that's not how, how I roll. Like you have to protect that integrity of your work. But the, the nerves are because every time I'm on camera, I'm auditioning for my next paycheck. It, that's the reality of it. It is incredibly um, nerve-wracking when you do not know where your next paycheck's coming. You, don't know, not, you do not know when you're going to pay rent next. And as such, every opportunity I get is an audition to pay rent another time. When you word it like that, that is terrifying. I it is. also would be incredibly nervous. It is, and and I get it. It's like a very glamorous looking job, and I love it to death. Don't get me wrong. It it affords me a lot of opportunity to travel to meet people, and beyond that, like I do what I love, and this is something that cannot be undersold. I gave up that management position I was talking about, that communication manager's position. Mm-hmm. I was. I was, I think if I stayed in that job, I'd be comfortably making six figures today. Like that, that's, that's, there's no concern about that. Like that is something I was on that trajectory, but I, I woke up every day and this is not an exaggeration contemplating, you know, contemplating killing myself. Like it was like, I woke up every day unhappy and that is not a sustainable thing. So what saved me from that was knowing that there were other alternatives and I just needed to work for them. And once I identified what I wanted to do and what made me happy and I worked towards it, but from the day I decided that casting and broadcasting was, was my calling, I didn't quit the next day. I needed to work up enough opportunity for myself to sustain an oppor- like an, a, a chance to to maybe have a whole year of trying it out. But in that regard, I'm like, if that didn't work out, I still needed a cushion of, of, of money that if things didn't work out and I wasn't getting jobs, I could still pay rent for a year before I had to go look for work again. So from the day I decided that this was my calling to the day I quit my job was like two years. It, it, and, and in those two years, that was a gigantic mental struggle because I still needed to be gainfully employed while building a reputation and building a portfolio within the esports world and basically managing two full-time jobs. And then once I got a first opportunity with Gwent, um, that paycheck, that first op- paid opportunity, I think I had produced about two to 3,000 hours of content for free until I got that first paycheck. So. Wow. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's a lot, but the fact that like I can wake up every morning, gung ho, bright eyed, bushy tailed, knowing that I'm going to be doing what I love today. I, I, it makes the ramen I have to eat that much tastier. (laughs) There is nothing wrong with ramen. I, I don't have to, I still eat it. It's just tasty. Did you plan? like all of the steps because like you it definitely sounds like you thought this out like how you were going to get there the cushion you needed like did you try to like roadmap out of like all right by this point i want to have you know this mile marker done and then aim for this game to comment on it how how in depth was that part of the planning i didn't know there was no well there's there's no like roadmap right um 
I did get some advice. I had some friends who were like, well, here are popular streamers and here's what they say about success. But what I learned was it, within those you know, tidbits of, of advice, a lot of it was very um, subjective. It was very much my situation was X, Y, Z. And, and not everyone's situation is going to fall in there. There's no... It's not like a, a 12 steps to recovery or, or, you know, the five stages of grief or whatever. It's not that mapped out. However, I knew that there were some very important and, and you know, unmovable tenets to how to at least, you know, orient yourself towards success. Um, and that was things like consistency, honesty, um, reliability, and, and, and whatnot. And, that that to me was just things like okay it's effort it's a lot of this has to do with effort and patience because anybody can go out there say something controversial put out a youtube video get 10,000 hits on that youtube video within the first week because they said something bogus and ridiculous because it's clickbait and that's how this works i wanted to kind of avoid some of that 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 sort of instant gratification because i wanted to know i wanted people to know that you know what they get from me is is reliability but the 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 chief aspect of this the the part that you have control over is effort and consistency and that were were two of the things that were very important to me i i was on whether i wanted to be or not every day from 7 to like 9 30 p.m every day like Monday to Friday, and then on weekends, I would stream in the afternoons. So after doing, you know, nine hours at, at, at the office, I'd come home, I'd eat for half an hour, and then I'd stream. And then I'd go to bed. And I'd do that every single day. And in that regard, well, there's no, there's no room for dating. There's no room for going out. There's no room for whatever. But to me, the ambition to be successful in this field was, outweighed all of that. And it still does unfortunately for, you know, ex-girlfriends and whatnot is that I'm unfortunately very oriented towards finding success in this field. And that's, that's what I want to do, but there's no plan. There's no plan at all because everybody's situation is unique. My work situation, where I lived, what my, my financial status was, because if you've got money and you want to do it, you can quit your job today and put in eight hours of work a day into a career. But not everybody has that opportunity. I didn't have that opportunity. Others don't. Other people have to sort of fit this in around all their other responsibilities. You know, I didn't have kids. I don't have pets. I, 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 I only have this. And this is all I want to pour my heart and soul into. It's so hard for like, because everything answer you've given us has been so in-depth and thorough and informing i just feel so bad going all right next thing we want to talk about oh go for it segways like, are difficult dude. They, they're yeah. trust me i know they're not they're not easy um and sometimes like some of the easy outs are, are when somebody says well speaking of this and then they transition to another one but sometimes those links are yeah. not easy to easy to to, to create 
and I'm just like I sit, I'm sitting over here and I'm just listening and I'm just like this is so much information so well put and I'm just like how the heck do I ask this <laughs> next question just going that's great let's uh, talk about this now yeah all right uh, okay. thank you for that in-depth look into your psyche do you prefer <laughs> ranch or blue cheese right, right. <laughs> so do you prefer ranch or blue cheese oh ranch all the way uh, all right I gotta Tom, agree with Tommy you there. fresh can suck it <laughs> <laughs> the challenge has been presented. I, I I do not like blue cheese, so I agree with you on ranch, one hundred percent. Blue cheese has a place in a couple of things, but nine times out of ten, it's a ranch. Yeah, uh, it has a place in the garbage. That is easy work, yes. <laughs> I mean, I do eat garbage, so that works. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you know, so you know, common casting is your job, like. So, you know, it's money in the door for you, but let's, so we're going to, let's go with a hypothetical here. You know, there's an event coming up and, you know, you have the, like, you don't have to cast it if, you know, cause we'll just like hypothetical, you know, the financial situation's fine at that point. Um, would you prefer to play in it or prefer to cast it? I would, uh, I would always prefer to cast it. Um, given any opportunity i would cast uh, without a doubt um that is don't don't get me wrong i've been on the warpath in the past couple months trying to play more competitively and succeed more competitively but that also kind of um, lends itself to being a better broadcaster when you play at a high level you can understand some of the, the lines of play and and win conditions and and adapting to evolving game states but at the end of the day, my passion has always been broadcasting, and I would do it every time, every day, uh, without fail. Um, because let's be real, if, when I was working and making money, I was still playing cards. And I could have done that. I could have just spent all the time practicing and playing competitively and trying to improve to be a competitor and still make a lot of money. But I chose broadcasting because you live you have one life and if you spend the majority of it miserable that's that's not that's not something i want to look back on and 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 regret you know mm-hmm. i don't fear i don't i don't fear you know failure i fear regret and i think that a lot of it is about putting yourself in those positions to to not not feel that regret down the line and you'll fail a lot, and it might not always work out. But if you don't roll that dice, you'll never know if you if you hit the nat twenty or you you crap out. Like that's just kind of the reality of it. But given the given the choice, every single time, every single time, it's broadcast. So, kind of from that. So when you are broadcasting, you know, so watching, I've only been able to watch a handful of things, but I noticed, you know, it's. They switch out the broadcasters every in between rounds, so not so it's it looks the way it looked is like you're not doing every single round. You get little breaks in between. So during that time, are you just basically like in this like back room, just waiting for your next round to come, or what are you doing in between? Um, very rarely are you kind of do you get time off, and this is something that a lot of people might not uh, realize. Um, I'll use the major tournaments as an example. Uh, the major tournaments is an example 
uh, typically have four broadcasters. Um, for Worlds, I believe they had five. Um, so the way it typically works is, yes, there's a two-on, two-off kind of policy in terms of camera work. However, you'll have one of those people will be uh, watching the match with like uh, an iPad or a device. And every time a card is played, they put that card, they search that card in a directory and they put that card on the screen. So when you're watching a broadcast and somebody plays Swarming Gloomvale, Swarming Gloomvale pops up on the screen. That is me or Tannen or Brendan or Armada or, or Brian Gottlieb or whoever jamming that card up like manually. That's them. There are, there's a, it's not automated. So right then and there, every game has minimum three people working that match. Uh, only two of them have speaking roles. The fourth person uh, is kind of like a float in the sense that they're, they're either getting everybody else coffee or or drinks or something or they're taking a rest like they'll have maybe some time off um so in reality you have one hour off or 50 minutes off every f in every let's say four hour cycle so in an eight hour day nine hour day i mean i say eight hours that's very ambitious uh and yeah, and they all go longer they always go long <laughs> like we're there at maybe if the broadcast starts at 10, we're usually there at about 8, uh, 8, 8.30. And then we're usually out at, after, day ones are the worst sometimes. You're out at 7, maybe 8 o'clock. So it's a 12-hour it's a day, and you get, get maybe two hours of break in that entire day. Um, and you have to fit in eating and stuff in there. Uh, so it, there's a lot going on. There's definitely a lot going on. So what was that? You mentioned there was a fifth person at Worlds. Were they just like additional floater or or what were they doing extra? Uh, so Worlds, the Worlds broadcast team was myself. It was Tannen, uh, Brian Gottlieb, Brendan Patrick, and Eric Longquist, a.k.a. Doa. Uh, they wanted to bring in Doa because Doa is one of the goats. He is one of the OGs. He's one of the, the greatest um, broadcasters in esports of all time. He also happens to be a very big flesh and blood player fan uh and good player as well i played with him on my team at the uh team blitz event in las vegas and we had a great time um they they brought him on because he was le legitimacy and he was he knew what he was talking about in this game like they, he, they brought him on because he was a great flesh and blood caster uh, I think for Worlds, what they wanted to do was also feature a lot more interviews. So there was uh, Tannen, who was um, kind of handling the majority of that. I would step in in certain cases when Tannen was casting a match. I would do some of the interviews as well. Uh, so now you have an interview role introduced as well. So that kind of threw in an additional responsibility for the broadcast team, which means you kind of need to have an extra person. Otherwise, none of us would ever get breaks. Right. Yeah, or coffee or anything to drink, unless they coffee is like, like a, it's like currency, like that and peanut M and M's. Like if this was prison, uh, yeah, if <laughs> I would trade everything for that. Like you can have my pillows, you can have everything, you can have my yard time. Just give me coffee and M and M's. That's all I want when I'm at uh, at a broadcast. It's got everything you need. So <clears throat> with LSS, do they like you know? A lot of the complaints people always have is, you know, they don't announce stuff, you know, as too far in advance, which they did, you know, they just announced six plus months in advance. With that, do they give, like, you know, if 
they want you to cast an event, do they give you enough time to be able to plan for it? Or is that side also kind of like still being worked on to get enough time for you and the other casters to be able to get your hotel room, get the flight there and all that? There have been, so a, a lot of this has to do with um, the the tournament organizer there uh, that they hire for these events. Okay. So some are better, some are worse. Ultimately, if it was me, I mean, I wish I knew what I was doing in August, in September, in October. But oftentimes, you don't find out about things until six weeks before, and that is not acceptable. And they know that that's not acceptable, and they have actively been working to improve that. Now, that isn't to say that that was the norm, but it has happened where – you know, sometimes you're just like, you just don't know. Yeah, I, like, Am mm -hmm. I working this event? Am I not working this event? Um, and the difficult part about it is like, based on where the event is and who's handling it, you need to coordinate with the tournament organizer to get a lot of this stuff done. And um, at the end of the day, they have improved, absolutely. For example, for uh, Pro Tour Baltimore, you know, we were approached uh, with with, you know, contract negotiations for that uh, in January, which was, okay. you know, which was helpful. And that, that means like, okay, we've got plenty of lead time, but again, it's, it's, that's the last thing I know I'm doing for LSS, you know, and I still haven't even signed that contract. That's still sort of in the year and still under negotiation. Um, however, at the end of the day, they have so many moving parts that they need to address and they need to lock down. And that is a tall task because they're in New Zealand. And I'm not saying that, you know, they're in freaking Mordor, although technically, I guess they kind of are. Uh, they're very adjacent to Mordor. <laughs> yes, they are Mordor adjacent. But they're not Narnia. Like they're not. They they haven't contacted us through a wormhole, uh, you know, and and suddenly the wormhole is closed, and and you know, like we can't talk to them. They have the thing about it is that they have so many moving parts. They're in a different part of the world where it's difficult to get timely responses on the other side of the world when the the time zones are completely fakakted you know they're, they're completely backwards in that regard but they're they're working on it and they're trying to create such an ambitious schedule of organized play and you got to give them credit for that there's and the difficult part about it is that they're not just trying to appease new zealand they're trying to appease the world so nobody's ever going to be fully satisfied or very rarely is the entire community going to be fully satisfied with how many events where the events are what format the events are going to be, you know, like yeah. I, I'm such a fan of limited limited is my favorite thing. And they announced outsiders, but no, they haven't announced limited format, um, major tournaments. That isn't to say that there aren't going to be some, but you know, like uh, this is what, this is the point I'm making. A lot of people don't like limited. So they're happy. They're not, there's not, so you're not going to, you're not going to please everyone all the time. Um, but what they have done is they have, been actively working to improve that aspect of locking down broadcasts and locking down broadcast teams. And that was one thing I was very happy was when I was reached out to by LSS regarding PT uh, Baltimore was that it was an, a lot of lead time on that. And uh, I'm hoping that down the line that that continues. And I don't suspect it won't because I think that they're, they're, they're actively improving internally on that note. But if I were to just sort of evaluate, I think that, uh, uh, you know, locating and locking down a broadcast team is small potatoes compared to 
uh, you know, like locking down an actual OP schedule and a venue and a city and that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm well aware. And what I'm happy about is that if they're talking to me about something like Baltimore, this, this much in advance, it means because they're probably locked all that stuff down and that, and that, so that's a good sign. You know, that's a good sign. There's, there's no, there's no, um, when there's that much lead time on something as insignificant as broadcasting, I say it's insignificant, but in comparison, that right, means that it's, it's kind of like the the cherry on the cake of your event. Like exactly, it, it is important for sure, but you kind of need to have the place, the people who are running it, you know, what the format is, all that. That's a but, lot, a lot of legwork. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. So, you know, I I'm. I'm the equivalent of crossing your T's and dotting your I's when it comes down to all of it. You know, it's, it's, if I'm, if I'm not there, it, it doesn't, it, the, the letter is still legible. You know, people will, will get it. It's not, it's not the end of the world. So I, I get that. It's good that they're actually giving you that lead time now. Like, oh yeah. No, definitely. I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine trying to like, like planned flights and hotels and all that with just six weeks while doing everything else you need to, to get by. Cause I, I imagine during like the six weeks in those like worst case scenarios, you had other events you had to plan for too. That's well, a lot of logistical work for you. I feel the worst for people like, let's say DM Armada who has a family and, and another full-time job, people like this who need that lead time to make arrangements and, and, um, you know, uh, account for their own family and being away from their family. I'm a, a single schmuck living in an apartment in Toronto where my whole life is this. So if I get hired tomorrow, I'm like, I'm on a flight tonight and I have, n- I don't have a plant that even is going to even worry about me. Like nothing like that. I like that. That's, <laughs> that's the reality of it. Like I can draw at the drop of a hat. I pack a bag and I'm out the door in 30 minutes. Like it's no big deal to me, but for others, it is a big deal. And I'm very, I'm very happy that that is something that they're, um, they have actively improved upon. And, and that is something that having spoken to their organized play team and the person who runs that, I have very, I have a lot of confidence that the improvement of this kind of stuff is, is continuous and, and it's it's has staying power. I'm, I'm, I had like a question in mind, and I'm like, oh, so at the so like with the Pro Tower in Baltimore, so we got the banquet Thursday and Friday. There's not is like a open day for that. Are so like are those days where you know you still got like you're there and you still got work to do for them. Are those kind of like free days for the casting team? Um, so there's expectations for us to attend these things, but I mean, I say expectations. It's not a chore. <laughs> like it's the best thing ever. I would be there no matter what. Um, usually, let's say, um, if there's the if there's like one of the banquets on the Thursday, I typically would. I, I like to fly in the night before. I I hate to fly in, f- feel rushed go somewhere and just never have that kind of, I like to get somewhere relatively early and, and whatnot. 
But, you know, there's no obligation for us to attend these things. Um, for the most part, I attend them because I want to. And uh, I don't I don't even at, wait for an invite. I'm just like, I'm there. Like, I don't care. Like, they're like, oh, you're formally invited. I'm like, yeah, I know, mofo. I'm going. Like, it's, you can't stop me. So I was already sneaking in the door. Let's go. Basi- basically, <laughs> absolutely. And this is the one thing that kind of really um, made me feel a little weird was the last one in San Jose, like the lineup to enter the venue was down the block. It was like huge. And I stroll up and I went, I went to the back of the line to go wait, to go in. And, and, um, I think it was, uh, one of the other casters, I think it was Brian or somebody else was like, what are you doing, dude? Like, let's just walk in. I'm like, no, I, I can't. He's like, don't worry about it. He's like, I, I'm an LSS employee. Like you're my date. Let's go. And I, and I felt bad. And like, that's the thing as I'm walking, I hear people like, Oh, I guess the casters are too good to wait. in line. I'm like, no, I tried to wait in line. I totally <laughs> tried to wait in line. Like, you know, I, I, I firmly believe that I am a member of the community, like the same as you, the same as anybody else, the same as Tarek Patel, the same as any, any dreamer out there who's entering a calling with the, only hoping to make day two, not even having top eight in their mind. I am the same person as you. I just have a different outlet. Everybody has to wait in line except for Michael Hamilton. He just appears in the venue. Oh, no, yeah. Are you kidding me? He walks by and like the like literally like the Grim Reaper just touches you on the shoulder and you drop dead. And he's like, I guess I'm going ahead of you there, bud. And this goes <laughs> that's it. Uh. <laughs> you've, you've murdered Brandon. Well, Michael is truly in the room with him. Because I he heard is... the jokes on the last episode and the angel, whole angel of death. Thing. And what's so funny about this is literally, I messaged Michael yesterday night. Um, I'm trying to uh, hook a friend up with a PTI. So if anybody's out there selling a PTI, you reach out to me. Um, don't be ridiculous and like say like twelve hundred dollars because I will laugh at you. But <laughs> I messaged him, asked him because the guy hoards PTIs, he collects them like they're Pokemon. And I was like, "Hey, um, are you selling one?" He's like, "I sold all all of them that I was willing to sell." Um, but I no, I wish you well, and I hope that I wish you luck, Flake, and this and that. I'm like, "Why are you so nice? Why are you so nice?" The way that I said this, I'm like, "He is." Remember that episode of Treehouse of Horrors where Ned Flanders turns out to be the devil? That's the thing. He's the nicest guy. <laughs> That is what he is. He is the nicest guy, yet he is the angel of death. Like that's that's right. what it is. It's insane. Like there, <laughs> I said that there needs to be like a Twitter account, account that tracks what tournaments Michael Hamilton is attending. Like that Elon Jet Tracker. Like the same thing. Something right. needs to because people will be like, "Well, I guess I'm not winning this one." Like it's just not happening. <laughs> Inquiring minds need to know if they can actually hope to win, or are they going to get frozen out? <laughs> yeah, frozen out but like you're like frozen to the degree of cardiac arrest like that's yeah. basically yeah. it uh michael hamilton's actually uh playing Yu-Gi-Oh, sending people to the shadow realm <laughs> uh, yeah i just activated my trap car there buddy destroys you that's oh legit what God. it feels like to play icelander though <laughs> it oh. feels it's so great Michael's Michael Hamilton is just such a god. <laughs> I guess so. he's he's the main character. We're all just like a bunch of NPCs. Uh more or less. Yeah. I, I, I feel like we're just quests along the way to the final boss. Like that's basically his deal. It's like day one is the tutorial. 
day two is just leveling up your character. And then the top eight is when you actually have to, you know, it, that's the PVP. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel like I might know the answer to this question because I actually was tuned into this one, but I'm kind of hoping it's a different thing because it'd be cool to be shocked. What is one moment from casting that you had that you can look back on and go, I said that? You oh. just like puff out your chest and go, I said that. Like puff out my chest and say, Yeah, that, that was me. Like that was awesome or that was not that was not cool. Cause I got some for both. I'm kind of uh, curious about both. If we got answers for both. <laughs> oh, I got plenty of answers for both. I've been doing this long enough in front of enough people to know that I have embarrassed myself many times. Um <laughs> do you want to hey, do you want the one that I'm proud of first, or do you want the one that I'm not proud of first. Let's go proud of first. I want to build a little bit of suspense <laughs> for the other one. All right. So there's there's actually there's there's two answers here. Um, the one I'm actually most proud of is that I kind of am. I'm very happy that this is how my Gwent career ended. Um, Gwent is a very Europe dominated game. Um, the the major tournaments for Gwent, like the hundred dollar, the hundred thousand dollar tournaments and whatever, they're always completely populated by Europe, uh, Euros. And um, my last uh, broadcast for, for Gwent was their Season 4 World Championship. And there was a Canadian in the field. And the Canadian in the field was relatively unknown. It was this kid, a teenager, uh, that I think lives like 30 miles from me, like very close. I had no idea who this person was because I wasn't necessarily paying much attention to Gwent at the time. Um, but the proudest moment for me was that this kid who I think got 8% of the vote in the who's going to win poll ended up sweeping the finals and I got to make the final championship call. And I was happy because it, it came out clean. It came out well-timed with the final play. And it also meant a lot to me that the final call I ever got to make for Gwent was crowning a Canadian world champion in a Europe-dominated field. And that, to me, I think, from a career standpoint, is one of the most glowing feathers in my cap. That and is, not to uh, that mention is... that he was an underdog. Like, that's... that's just massive underdog. Think, yeah. Massive, massive underdog, because nobody gave any credence to North Americans as being good at the game. Because, in reality, they were there were some good players but they were never on that level. Like any time that I was serious about Gwent, whenever there was a tournament, I would always grind ladder. And I would always, usually when the tournament occurred, I was usually a top 500 global player. Like that was just who I was. But this player who had succeeded and got through the qualifiers and, and made it to the main tournament, got no respect and ended up three owing in a best of five, uh, the, the finals and nobody had it coming. And, he was the sweetest dude because in the post-game interview, he won like $75,000 or something like that, a U.S. And um, it's like, oh, you know, like, what are you going to do with the money? And he's like, uh, I don't know. I kind of have to study. So I'm thinking I'm just going to order a pizza and go to bed. And it's like, <laughs> and it's that like, oh, perfect. damn. Yeah, that was it. And like, the you know, like people saying like, oh, you know, nobody believed you can win. And this is how did you sort of overcome that? He's like, I don't know. I just don't care. I just, I, you know, I'm I'm good at the game and I just figured if I just keep winning and that's it. He's like, I don't really care what other people have to say. And I was like, yeah, that guy's like my guy. Like at least, and it was great. So that, that to me was one of my crowning 
achievements and and something I was lucky enough uh, to happen to me. My final call was crowning a Canadian World Championship in the game that I I basically built my career on. That's amazing. Um, flesh and Blood style. I mean, I think Lumina Gobumina is probably the one that I'm best known for. They've made T-shirts of it now, which is great. I think that it's something that uh, it just it just slipped out. Like literally, it, it was not in my. I, I don't know much about uh, Bolton or anything. I was lucky enough to do the call with uh, uh, Romain Nicolas, who is uh, the French caster and and part of Lloyd Zofidia in France. And I did that call because he's a big Bolton fan. And the triple Lumina turn, like, the dude was, like, pardon my expression, but the dude was, like, rock hard when that, when the, the, the third, when the third Lumina popped up, you could see him. He was in this euphoric <laughs> state of joy. And he, he, he was struggling to get the words out. And I just tried to fill the gap and said, Lumina go Boomina. And that kind of, stuck and that's that i guess is part of my <laughs> my flesh and blood legacy <laughs> and it's a phenomenal legacy to have it is the other one i think that i i, I always have fun with is like whenever i cast a drone i match one time um uh one of the drone my players had like mid game had no ash and i said i'm like and he's i referred to him as an ashless chap and i <laughs> <laughs> and that one kind of stuck. I, I I like that one. And I think when I said that, I forgot who I was casting it with. It might have been Doa. <laughs> and Doa just looks at me. And Doa's been in the business for like 10, 15 years, you know, casting some of the biggest events in, in, in esports history. And he just looks at me with this like, he's like, I got a cast with this clown. <laughs> <laughs> he's got an all full professional ready yeah. to go. But just but the he, facts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, I, and and it, that's the whole thing. And like Tannen and Grace, like I've casted with Tannen so much now. And Tannen always says, he's like, no matter how I prepare, every time I cast with Flake, he says one thing that breaks me where I have to mute my mic and just disappear for like 30 seconds and laugh. And that's my mission now is whenever I'm, I'm working with Tannen, I'm like, I'm going to get you. And you don't know when it's coming, but I'm going to get you. <laughs> uh, now, do you I, want I the bad one? Ask, before we move to that, I have <laughs> yeah. to ask. Do you own a Lumina Go Boomina shirt? I do. I do. Card, card, card Culture Apparel reached out to me and um they and you know to my surprise and to my appreciation on the website where you can get the shirt, they have me quoted like as like the famous quote from Pro Tour France uh, said by Flake Lumina Go Boomina and I was like that's so cool. So they said, you know, uh, I offered to pay for it, and they're like, "Absolutely not." They're like, "Dude, you just like you designed the shirt for us." So like, you know, so they sent me a shirt. I wore it. Um, I wore it in Indianapolis. Uh, nobody noticed because I had my kayfabe cards jersey over top of it, and I completely forgot to show people. But I did wear it. It's one of my favorite shirts. Um, one thing I always appreciate is I'm lucky enough that people in the community send me shirts or uh, uh, stuff regarding their own content and. I am always happy to wear and show off the efforts and, and the, the awesome stuff that the community is doing. And this isn't me trying to canvas for more stuff, but, <laughs> but if I, if I get a shirt from something that somebody does, like I, like I go to tournaments with like a fresh and buds play mat or a flesh and pod play mat. You know, I have my kayfabe card shirt, uh, Jersey on, I have a min max sweater for the next day. I've got my Harry tarantula shirt. I've got my Pumalavenko Polish podcast, uh, shirt on. Like these are always 
some things like to me, I'm it, it's it's a community effort, right? Like this game yeah. is a community effort. So I'm always there to happily promote and share uh, share other people's uh, projects. That's that's pretty cool. That is like so cool that you do that. But now what is what what are those? The bad ones, <laughs> ones, ones that you maybe regret a little bit. So, Ryan. okay, calling Indianapolis 2022, I believe. Calling Indianapolis 2022. I wasn't supposed to broadcast this. I was actually going to play in it. And unfortunately, Craig Kremples, who was uh, slated to do it, uh, got COVID and had to back out. So I got a call at 10 p.m. Thursday. I was in Buffalo staying with my buddy Blevins because we were both going to drive to Indianapolis together. And I get a call from Tannen saying, uh, do you have any shirts or nice clothes or a jacket? And I said, no, I, I don't. And he's like, okay, we need you to, to be on the broadcast. And I said, oh, I'm like, absolutely. He's like, okay, um, so where are you? I'm like, I'm in Blevins's living room on his couch, like going to bed. Cause we have, we're driving, we're leaving at 2 AM to drive to whatever. So I go to the, I end up going and like on day one, one of the days, I, I wouldn't say I was unprepared, but I was not expecting to broadcast. And I was broadcasting with Brian Gottlieb. The first time I ever got to work with Brian Gottlieb, it was a prism match versus Starvo. I believe I could be wrong, but I mentioned we we're talking about the match and midway through I had mentioned that Prism has a, a point in the round where they can pivot, where there are too many auras for the opponent to clear them out efficiently, where eventually Prism can start attacking with the auras more reliably. And when I what I wanted to say was these auras and these spectral shields become nuisances because they only attack for one, but over the course of the match, it is death by a thousand cuts. However, I accidentally threw an N into the cuts in the worst possible place. Oh. And, and that was, and there was a little bit of silence, and I look at Brian with this face of terror, and he looks at me, and he just kind of like closes his eyes, no sells it, and then continues on with the match. <laughs> and God bless Brian Gottlieb for not reacting, but that was said, and that will forever be said. And now I kind of want to get spectral shields that are just a bunch of peanuts. Uh, that's not what the word was. No, it was, uh, it was C-U-T-S. Now, wedge oh, an N. Oh, I see. Yeah, wedge <laughs> an N. Yep. Directly in the middle of that. That's yeah. that is worse. That I is see. absolutely worse. So, if anybody wants to go dig this one up, you can go to I think it was Star City Games, um, in calling Indianapolis 2022, I believe it was. You can go find a match where Brian and I are casting, and you can hear me say "Death by a Thousand Blanks." So, like, um, that was so awesome. Derek's over there, like. Oh, peanuts isn't that bad. <laughs> yeah. No, my friend. No, my friend. Bright it was a bushy tail. Like, no, yeah. it was. See you next Tuesday in the worst form possible. Right. <laughs> right. So, how did the skull cap become a thing? 
Uh, <laughs> um, so the skull cap and broadcasting, like we're lucky enough in this community to have ex- some of the best cosplayers in the world, and they're so passionate. And at that point, it was uh, Olivia uh, Jobert Hicks who was there, and she had a a grab bag of cool stuff. And one of them was the Arcanite skull cap, and I was like, this can go on my head. And this actually goes back to when I was casting Gwent. Uh, back when we were doing it in a studio, there was a Aridin cosplayer, and he had the Aridin helmet, which kind of looks a lot like the Arcanite Skullcap, ultimately. Yeah. But I was there, and you know me, I like to keep things light and funny and try to entertain. And um, I, I said, I'm like, how funny would it be if we cut back from break, and I'm wearing the helmet, and you can't see through the helmet very well, and nor can you hear. But I put and I put my glasses over top of the helmet. They managed to get so it was just me <laughs> with with um, the glasses on the skull cap and and not being able to see a damn thing. And <laughs> so it cuts from break, and my co-caster is no selling it, just asking me questions about the matchup. And I have the the hat on talking, and I can't hear anything. I don't have any con- like I can't. So I'm just playing along, and then that became. Uh, the skullcap move, which was when we cut back to break, and I'm just wearing it with the flags in it. And I was like, <laughs> let's just do it. And again, God bless Brian Gottlieb, who is always good for a fun, fun go at things. Okay. So, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say the power to sell something like that. The well, performance. That's what I'm saying. Like it's it's entertainment to me, and and that it's storytelling, and it's trying to people tune into these things, and they don't want like a lot of it is just people just want to see the gameplay. They want to see the high level gameplay. The to a lot of people who are watching this, I completely understand that I am a ro- like I'm a hurdle between you and those games. So if I can make this as painless as possible, if I can give you some joy. During that process, I want to appeal to the people who might not might not find the commentary appealing. I want to give somebody a reason to chuckle or or forget about the fact that they have to go through another deck analysis or they have to go through the bracket again or they have to go through the, the you know um, the notable names slide again and stuff like that. So I try to I try to keep it informative, but at the same time, I understand that this is the entertainment business. It's like at the end of the day, whichever way you slice it, it's still the entertainment business, and I am there to entertain. So, what is, like, one piece of advice you could give someone who's, like, looking at, like, who watches the streams and go, you know, I'd love to be a caster at some point. So, I get asked this a lot, and I think that you need to soul-search and realize what you're doing it for. Are you doing it because you want to be quote-unquote famous? Are you doing it because you want to be rich? Are you doing it because you you enjoy broadcasting, and this is the field, this is the, the space in which you want to explore that passion? But ultimately, you need to understand what you're doing it for. If you're doing it to become famous, you're not going to be famous. If you're doing it to make be rich, I don't need to show you my grocery receipts and how how I shop because it's you're not going to be rich. We already know about the ramen. Oh, please! And it's not like I buy ramen where it's it's the kind of of like oh I'll get like three packs here. You buy in bulk because it's cheaper. That's just the reality of it, you know. Um, I I always go back to the fact 
that, again, between two and 3,000 hours of content that I created and produced, and I didn't see a dime. And that is an off, that oftentimes is a, a, a reality check for people who want to get into the space. If you're willing to toil for that long and you still are still passionate about it, you're still waking up thinking about it, you're still getting up and, and, and actively pursuing it, then do it. Then get into it. But if you're, if you, you know, if you don't go to the corner store, to get ice cream because you have to walk a block and that's that's enough of a hindrance for you to go get something that you want, then this is not what you need to do. I worked um, nine hours a day. I worked like 45 hours a week and then came home and worked on this career and worked on the you know experience on this. But I'm going to quote the, the, the very wise Tommy Wiseau when he was asked, I want to get into writing. How do I start? And his reply was start. Like that's legitimately it. You'll never, you'll never attain anything if you're thinking about going from zero to 60. That's not how it works. You need to, you need to get yourself in front of a camera. You need to get, feel comfortable. You need to find your personality when people are watching. And, and, and it is such a rewarding experience. Like I could be still at my old job making easily five times as much money and have benefits and, and, and enjoy my life in that regard. But I wouldn't enjoy my life because to me, this is what I want to do. And if you can reconcile the fact that it's not about money, it's not about fame. It's about the passion and waking up in the morning, loving what you do, then chase it, then go after it, then get it. That's, that's the reality of it. It's, it's, there's no other advice that I can responsibly give people other than, soul search and understand that it's a long climb but it's a rewarding one but so is everything else in life when it comes to things you're passionate about so that that binding thing that that nucleus has to be passionate ha that has to be the furnace that you're shoveling coal into it has to be passion it it can't be money it can't be fame it can't be notoriety because that's not going to get you there. If you're not shoveling coal into that furnace, and if that furnace is not passion, you're going to sputter out, and you're going to crash and burn, and you're going to be resentful, and it's going to be difficult. So that is that is the advice I have to, again, like all the time, just reiterate. That's really good advice. Like forcing yourself to do something because eh, might make money. Not. Not the best way to do it. That passion, that drive, that's that's the real ticket. That's what I'm, you know, I'm still chasing. And you're gonna you're gonna find that it's not a lucrative career for the vast majority. But if I was chasing money, I'd be at the same job I was before. If and I'm not. This isn't to say that, you know, I'm not I'm not naive. Money can make people happy money buys things that make people happy a lot of people work very lucrative careers that they might not feel fulfilled about but if that job um, facilitates them seeking the joys and the hobbies and the life that they want to live that's perfectly fine there's nothing wrong with that if you have a job that pays you well gives you the time and space you need to explore your passions then get it go for it i've just decided that 
I'd rather struggle financially, but wake up every morning passionate about my career choice than waking up in the morning and finding fleeting hours now and then to chase my joys. So that is the trade-off I made, but it's so it's always subjective to everybody else. Yeah, totally get that. I, I'm on the other end. I do a job that is relatively lucrative uh, because I know that if I keep doing this one, it's got a nice career path. I don't hate it. Uh, not super passionate about it, but it fuels the things I'm passionate for. If it wasn't for doing that job, I I wouldn't have just made a terribly timed decision to buy an Arknight shard instead of the, <laughs> the two two literally two days before the heart of Findel jumped up another two hundred dollars. <laughs> two days. Oh, I'm Still selling mine by the way. Like there's, I told myself that like. I, Heart of Fyandal, the two or three life I might gain over the course of a long match is not worth the five hundred or six hundred dollars that somebody's willing to pay for it. So, if you want my Heart of Fyandal, ladies and gentlemen, DM me because that to me is like several months of groceries. So, please, <laughs> please. Yeah, when I saw how much it spiked, I was like, "Holy crap!" I had, every time I look at mine, I'm like, "I could sell this and have a like, you know, put that money away for Pro Tour Baltimore." But mine, it's I pulled it in the draft like two weeks before Christmas, I think it was, and the whole it literally has like this whole memory behind it. And also, me, I I joke around. Derek has shared custody of it, so (laughs) (laughs) I have legitimately run it more often than he has. (laughs) Well, that's what you got to share those. I'm like, so my my heart of final story was that prior to Worlds, I had seen some of the lists. And um, knew that it was going to be a lot more prominent in decks moving forward. So leading into Worlds, I was—I think the the going rate for a Heart of Findal it had dropped as low as about 180 between 180 to 200 dollars. And I was like, now's the time because before people figure this out, I want to go and acquire one. So I ran around all the venues. I, I asked everybody. I said, please, somebody. I said, what? I'm like, what do you guys? Do you guys have any? I went to like MinMax. I went to all the other different places. I'm like, what are you selling a heart for? They're like, well, you don't have any, but if we had one, we can give you one for like, we could, we can cut you a deal 180. I said, sold. If you get one, please put it aside. No one ever, uh, none of these stores ever acquired another one. Michael Hamilton wins worlds. Uh, heart of find all spikes to like 250 because people want it. Uh, I have the uh, joy of being friends with somebody named Andy Trong, who is the luckiest pack opening mofo i've ever met in my entire life he opens boxes as for profit like he's just like no it's a sure thing every time and he shows me pictures and it's obscene so he's like yeah he's like do you want a heart i said yeah he's like all right let me just crack uh let me crack a crack a couple wraith boxes so he cracks a couple wraith boxes pulls like a tunic uh a a heart like two e-strikes he's like yeah no that's but this is the thing he's like he's the guy's he's a mythical beast it's not even normal and he um and he says, "Oh, I got one for you." I'm like, "What's uh, what are you what are you selling it for?" I said, "Whatever the price is, dude. Just like I trust you." He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Well, going rate right now is about two fifty. He's like two twenty. I said, "Sold, no problem." And I was like, paying a little bit more than I wanted to, but it is what it is. And now they're like five hundred dollars. So I'm like, pretty sure I did the right move. Yeah. Yes, one hundred percent. And here I was, like back when it was at that that one eighty range. I was like, you know what? I'm never gonna like. I'm not gonna use it. What deck would I possibly run that in? I'm trying to stay ahead on life. 
and now I know more about the game. I am. <laughs> I'm playing this fatigue deck. It's core to it. It'd be great. Nah. It was good you got those connections like that. Just, uh, that's. I mean, I'm luck adjacent, and I'm happy about that. Right. I've been in enough drafts where, like, oh, to my right, someone opens a fable. To my left, they got Marvel Dragons, and I get, I'm like, hey, uh, uh, yellow uh, Aetherized Faint or something like that. Yeehaw. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what was it at the um, at the Shapeshifter Sealed? Uh, who, who were you sitting near, Brandon? Uh, I don't remember, but they cracked Black Tech, I think. Yeah, someone... There was someone. Oh, it's the table behind us. That's right. Oh yeah. Someone in the same, the same little shapeshifter sealed a couple of wrath, a couple of uprising, and four dynasty. Uh, cracked both heart of Findle and cold foil shukas. And hold on, and oh wait, no, and the person sitting across from them, tunic. Yep. Yep. Uh, Insane luck. Next. Yep. To us. <laughs> Been there, done that. Um. In the Aria, the Tales of Aria sealed in Indianapolis, a dude about, I think, like two or three seats diagonally from me opens Voltaire and New Horizon. So it's like, good stuff. Congratulations. Wow. You you won the game. You did yeah, it. Basically, <laughs> I was like, all right, just don't put me against this clown. I'm like, let me right. just lose my first game and just avoid this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my, the owner of an LGS near me, uh, Farabo. He always says the the contents of a pack change based on who touches it. Agreed. And I I hundred yeah. percent believe that. Do Do you want to Do you want to hear the most perfect story of luck adjacency? So USA Nationals, New Jersey, uh, not New Jersey, Charlotte. Was it Charlotte? I think it was yep. Charlotte. Yep. At the end of the entire thing. Keith Bartram of Realm Games. Uh, Keith has this funny saying where he says, if I'm bored, I make stupid decisions. I was like, that's, I guess, I mean, I, I'm there with you. So he was waiting for some people to wrap up before he drove home. And he's like, ah, I'm bored. He bought a box of Alpha. And he's recording the pack openings for um, for content. And just like, you know, it's a good thing to do. And my buddy, uh, Mike Torek, who's one of the best card players that nobody knows about. Because he has a family and a job and he can't compete. It's just, the, it, that is the reality for a lot of people. And But the reality is, is that this is one of the most innovative deck builders. Um, people don't know it, but he has built decks that have gone and won major magic tournaments. And nobody knows that he built it because others popularized it. It's just, that's the reality. Hmm. But he was there and he's getting into flesh and blood. Uh, if you see him on Twitter, he's he goes by Nick Bolas on Twitter. But... We're opening packs of Alpha. And he's always felt a little bit kind of like the outsider because he's not a content creator. He's not a pro player. He's just a person who loves card games. And I've, he's been a friend of mine for a long time. And I, I pull a pack out of the box because uh, Keith is like, Flake, open a pack for us. So I open it. I pick one out of the pack. And I say, you know what, Nick? You open it. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, open it. Cold foil, hard to find all. <laughs> Whoo! Cold foil, hard to find. Everybody uh, at the table explodes, erupts. It's on camera. They filmed it, but it was in my hand, and I give it to him. I say, "You do it." He, I'm like, "He's like, but I'm not a content creator." He's like, "Who cares? Like, who cares about me?" I'm like, "I care about you. You open it." And he opens it, and it's a cold foil, hard to find. 
that singular action, you generated that. That was yes. not in there a second ago. <laughs> it wasn't. It was a blue sigil of solace and a yellow snatch, <laughs> and then it became that. So oh, what man. I've learned here is if you want something to be lucky, hand it to Flake first, then have him hand it back. Oh, a thousand percent. <laughs> I mean, I, every, everybody has their kind of superstitions. When I was playing uh, Star Wars CCG way back in when as a teenager, I remember once buying a pack and I, the pack fell onto the floor and like made a loud slap noise when it hit the floor. And in it was a Han Solo. I was like, well, now whenever I would buy packs, I would take one and purposely fling it to the ground to smack it. <laughs> and that was my superstition was uh, irrationally damaging cards <laughs> to try to improve them. <laughs> Beautiful and terrible. All at the same time. Yeah. All right, so we're we're getting ready to wrap up here. So we gotta ask our our usual uh, question: What is your your absolute favorite memory from Flesh and Blood? This doesn't have to be like a, a game, like a game state thing. It could just be like community based, whatever. Your your favorite, most memorable thing that you've been a part of in Flesh and Blood. My favorite memory from Flesh and Blood, uh, and there are so many. I'm lucky enough that. When I'm at a venue, people, for some reason, want to say hi. And I, I have all the time in the world, unless I have to pee. <laughs> like, but I have all the time in the time. world to meet people and speak to people. And I think that all, all of those as, like, culminate into one great memory of every event of being able to meet great people. But the one resonating memory I have was from Pro Tour New Jersey. Um, I went out to dinner uh, with James White and some of the people. We had a great time. And, uh, you know, we did the Q&A with James. And James and I were very close in that regard because James James is not a very um, – he's not somebody who really wants the spotlight or likes talking in public. So he calls me his wingman when it comes to things like dealing with people asking him questions because sometimes he can't hear them or he doesn't necessarily can't word them correctly or whatever. So I'm there kind of like as a buffer in those, in those situations and he appreciates it, but he's also an exceptionally in demand person and somebody who always has time for people as well. he never throws people aside. He always accommodates and whatnot. And throughout that weekend, it was the first time I had met him in person and we had spoken a lot privately and whatnot but I had asked him, I said, look, I know you're busy. Um, if you'd have time at some point, I, I have like a couple cards I would like you to sign. And he said, absolutely. And then the entire weekend goes by and I never, he was always busy and swarmed by people. So I never wanted to bother him. And we were waiting to go for dinner outside the hotel on the Sunday night after the whole event is over. And I see him walking, or I don't see him actually. I hear him. He, all I hear is like, oi, Flake. And I was like, I don't know if he said, oi, Flake. But I was Cannon like, now you can't change it. I was Kai, I know. Like, but he said, it's like, uh, or he said, Matt, he calls me. Matt. He's like, Matt. I'm like, oh, James, how are you doing? He's like, good. He's like, he points at me. He said, I'm not signing a single effing thing until I sign your cards. I said, oh, I'm like, it's not a big deal. He's like, no, I promised you I'm going to sign your cards. Do you have time now? Meanwhile, I'm outside waiting for my Uber. That's three minutes away. But it's James White saying, do I have time to, to you know, hang out or whatever? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So he's like, where are they? I said, they're in my room. I'll go get them. He's like, no, 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 no. Uh, let's go. Let's go. I'll come with you. So we go up to my room and he starts signing things, but we're chatting. 
and we were discussing, you know, things like that. And we were discussing my career and we're discussing the uncertainty. And I told him about how this is a very important element of, you know, my mental health is that when you don't know where your next paycheck comes from, the anxiety, the depression, like these are triggers. And this is exceptionally difficult thing to navigate when you only want to do what you love, but you don't know when you can do it. Like that's, it's such a very odd tug of war. And he sat there and he asked questions and he gave me a hug and he, you know, we spoke through it. And that to me was one of the most resonating memories was how James didn't care about me as a caster. He didn't care about me in regards to flesh and blood. He cared about me as Matt DeMarco, the person, the friend, the colleague, the, you know, whatever he asked, you know, he gave me his number. He said, if you ever want to talk, you call me, you text me, don't worry about it. And that to me was something that really, really just continues to stay with me and live with me of, of that kind of, that's, if I was going to say there's a flesh and blood moment that I cannot and will never be able to shake, it's that. That is that's a powerful phenomenal. one. Yeah. Wow. We've had other ones about like, yeah, viscerai body pillow. Radical. Ah, <laughs> uh, boy. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that. That's definitely part of it too. I mean, like, uh, like I said, there's so many memories and great things that have occurred. But I mean, if one has to bubble up to the top, it's 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 going to be that one. That's a, right. That's Understandably, like you you had it with the man, the myth, the legend. It's also incredibly touching. Like you know, I, I personally, I I don't really follow celebrities or like however niche or whatever it's their personal lives if they want to share it great otherwise i'm not diving in so i never really knew much about like james white as a person i just knew like you know you gotta thank james white for this one you know (laughs) but that's awesome to hear that he's like that down to earth he he is yeah he he definitely is uh he's also somebody who's probably one of the busiest people in the world. I mean, I can imagine you have a company that has exploded in a small time frame, and you're trying to accommodate the hundreds of thousands of, of players playing your game. Um, the, the, the expansion into new territory, the, the constant scrutiny and praise that you get, it's hard to balance. It's hard to stay grounded. Uh, but it's also, you know, difficult sometimes to let some of that stuff feed your ego too. And it's, it's a very, difficult balance to have and at the end of the day that's the thing it's that he just spent so much time celebrating his achievements but his concern was me getting that one little thing that i wanted you know because he could have just completely just i don't say blown me off but it could have not occupied any real estate in his mind he could have right. walked by me, said, "Hey, Flake, how, you know, thanks for the good job, blah 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 blah," um, you know, and, and then moved on. But the word was, "Matt, I'm not signing another effing card until I sign yours." And I was like, "That meant a lot." And beyond that, it was the fact that he he was receptive and and open and caring about my own personal struggles, my mental health, my um, all that stuff, and and that is something that he took to heart and acted on because if i want to i can i can 
I can text him tomorrow and I know that he'll have time for me. And that's something that is incredibly, incredibly, um, I, like, the word escapes me of what, what the proper way to, to describe it, but it, 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 it harbors a lot of, of trust and appreciation in him, obviously, but by, by consequence, the game is as well in the company. That's, that's so cool. And it's like the one thing about this game is the community and him, the person who created it basically being what this community, you know, it's a very friendly community and him being one of those people that it shows, you know, you know, just how good this game like overall has been in the three years it's been around. Um, I, I want to thank you a lot for, you know, taking time out of your day to sit here and chat with us. Um, I appreciate it highly. It's been a really good chat. I've learned a lot. I've enjoyed, you know, the time you've given us. So just, you know, thank you. Oh, you're very welcome again. I, I as much as you want to thank me, I need to thank you and, and, and this podcast and et cetera, because without active community members, positive community members, um, this is this is what keeps the game afloat. And as I think, and I truly believe this, that the community is as important to the game as any as any strong, you know, set drop. Like if Outsiders is amazing, well, if the community, it's, it's the same thing as community. The community being great, and I have to say that what I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I'm sure that you know, I'm not making much money doing this uh like podcasting and and streaming i would i suspect that you know the two of you are not raking it in either if this is all part of everybody just diving into their passions and shared appreciation for for the game and everything so i have to just you know uh reflect this back at you because this is a team effort that's so wholesome i appreciate that (laughs) literally i was just me and Derek. We're playing at the same locals, and Fridays, when he was at his old job, we would just go in every, like, once a month and just play for hours and try and get, you know, as many people as we could, and a lot of times it was just me and him, and we'd just sit there, and it would just end up being, you know, a couple games, but us talking for hours about, you know, what we could be, you know, what what our imaginations bring up, just talking about the game. So one day I'm like, you know what, Derek? I was like, you want to sit down and do a podcast and just, you know, have all the have other people listen to the ramblings that we do and that's how it basically started that's it, it, everything has humble beginnings um it's about sticking to it you know yeah this was an excellent episode uh derek you want to go ahead and sign us off well before we're uh before we're on our way out did you have any last uh shout outs you want to toss out there Ah, shout outs. I mean, uh, like I, I, I'm going to reiterate the fact. Like I, I, I want to shout out the community that continues to actively and positively support the game and explore the game. You know, there's no one person that this game relies on. It's, it's everybody rowing in the same direction. And there are going to be, I don't say bad apples, but there are going to be, there are going to be, um, differences in opinion and there are going to be uh, friction there's going to be friction concerning certain elements but it's not about 
it, it's not bad to disagree. It's how we disagree and how we we reconcile those disagreements that is important. So feel free to disagree. Feel free to, to have your convictions, but also approach them in a positive way. And I think that the community is important in, to that regard. So just shout out to those who aren't afraid to to disagree, but do so in, in a great way. Fantastic. It has been an absolute pleasure having you. Um, well, hopefully, maybe sounds like we might see you in Baltimore. Uh, so until then, I hope you have a, a good rest of your time. Happy casting. And we'll see you all uh, next week.